You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Corporate radio ownership across America have banded together in the never-ending fight against the leftist media. Thousands of hate talkers across the dial is what the listening public demands. Not really. Conservative media will always be there Ugh. to crush the might of the leftist media. Oh, great. That is to say, all three progressive shows that remain on the air. Yeah, well. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hello. And now it's time for the one woman that terrestrial right-wing radio fears no. the most. No, 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 they don't. <laughs> it's the Nicole Sandler Show. Yeah, not really. Hmm. All right. Well, it, we start today. Uh, yesterday, I read you the lyrics from, uh, from uh, If It Were Up To Me. Today, because, hey, another day, another shooting, I'm going to take a different tack. You ready? Here we go. Well, wouldn't you like to blow away your dog friends, kids, or maybe your wife? <laughs> well, go to the convention hall where a license and a gun is easy to buy. Very easy to buy. Yeah. NRA says everything's fine. Get yourself a gun and have a good time. Pooh boy. We'll go buy a gun, throw it in the trunk, pop a top of suds, get good and drunk. All right. All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In a ball or a town where there's people all around, you just open up and mow them down. That's why. That's what they do. All right. And our says everything's fine. Get yourself a gun and have a good time. Come on, everybody. Exercise your right. Then you get me playing God, 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 playing God,
get yourself a gun and have a good time. Oh, oh, yeehaw! Yeehaw! says everything's fine. Get yourself a gun and have a good time. That is um, an oldie, but a really twisted goodie from our pal Boca Brittany Summers. Some things never change. You know, I, 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 I don't even know where to go with this anymore. So we're still dealing with uh, Monterey Park and 11 people killed, plus the shooter. So I guess that makes 12. And then it happens again. Last night, or or today, uh, well, today there are seven more people dead in California. Victims of yet another mass shooter. Four victims were found dead and another injured with gunshot wounds at one farm in Half Moon Bay, California. Nice area. And then three others were killed at another farm about three miles away. The suspect is another old Asian man. I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure this one, the 67-year-old, or 60, however old he is, um, was found. I'm, I'm sure he was influenced by the guy on Saturday, because what else? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, he was arrested. This guy is alive and in custody. Officers found him sitting in his car outside of a police substation. And yeah, a weapon was found in the vehicle. The motive for the shootings, they're saying this one was workplace related. The one on Saturday was um, a personal thing. Just, you know, when you try to start putting reason, meaning, you know, like make sense of something into a mass shooting, it's a fool's errand. You can't because there's nothing reasonable about it. But wait, there's still more. Because today, at least three people were fatally shot in an apparently random attack at a convenience store in Yakima, Washington, early this morning. That set off a manhunt after the gunman ran across the street and escaped in a stolen vehicle. I don't know what the status of that is. Because I just can't. Um, I, I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. How about this one? The following is a paid public service announcement from the International Rifle Association. Let's face it. Most of us will never be rich. Hell, we probably won't even be successful. And that's pretty damn depressing. But, as usual, with every problem, there is a solution. Hi, I'm Jim, and I'm here to tell you a little something about handguns. Oh, good. They scare the out of people and intimidate them into giving you whatever you want. That's right, handguns. handguns. Think about it. Need some cash? Rob a bank. Don't have enough money for beer? Pull up a convenience store. Take some chips and pretzels while you're at it. It's all free if you've got a handgun. Some son of a bitch cheating on your girlfriend? Kill him. Kill it's him. a simple solution to life's complex problems. All you have to do is wait the five days for it, and happiness is just around the corner. Hell, if you don't want to wait the five days, who cares? Buy the damn thing off the street. Just buy a lot of handguns. It's a great alternative to working problems out and can be considered a population controller. Oy. Yes, handguns. They just might make you famous. Oy. 
you know, maybe that's how people think. I just, I just don't understand it. Now, somebody in the chat room a second ago just said, I didn't hear about Yakima either. You know why you didn't hear about Yakima, Kim? Because, well, let me go back to the, the, um, the story. Because only three people were shot. That's not considered a mass shooting in America. It's not considered a mass shooting unless there were four people shot. You see, there's this gun violence archive. In fact, here, let me show you uh, some of this website. Hold on. Uh, for those of you watching uh, the, the uh, video stream, those of you listening, I'll have to um, narrate a little more. But gunviolencearchive.org is this website. And it's constantly being updated. But the thing is, if you go here, explainer, it, ma- mass shootings, it, it explains what mass shootings are. <laughs> and how they do this. Then there's a last 72 hours. Um, and it tells, shows you all the, the mass shootings in the last 72 hours. And guess what? There are nine pages of them. And that takes us back to, oh, January 21st. Seriously. Oh, wait, it goes more. There's more. Uh, January 21st, Pennsylvania, reading Pennsylvania. And the thing is, oh, these have, okay, this has more than just those shootings with four or more people. This shows all the shootings. So in the past 72 hours, there are 11 pages worth. But um, here, let's go back to the, the beginning of this, to the most recent. And, oh, go today is January 24th. Did you know? That in Columbia, South Carolina today, one person was killed with a gun. Uh, I guess there was a shooting in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Nobody was killed and nobody was injured. But um, view incident. Let's see what happens when you view incident. Oh, at a firearm store. Look at that. It was a non-shooting incident, gun, gun shop, robbery, or burglary. Okay. Let's look for the Yakima Washington one. Um, it was early this morning. This is Washington, D.C. That's a Washington, D.C. Um, wait, it would have been today. Here's Des Moines. We knew about Des Moines yesterday. Okay, so this was the one in Des Moines, which um, uh, <laughs> where two students were killed. Here's two killed, and one teacher was injured. Not officially a mass shooting because only four people were shot. I don't even see the Yakima Washington one on here. So maybe I, I don't I don't know what that means. I just know that the fact that this website even exists is too much. It's too much. The, the, as I said in what's news today, this nation is sick. We have an epidemic and there's no vaccine for it and the cure for it we have, I guess, healthcare deniers because people in Congress who will not um, do the right thing. You know, the majority of Americans want some sort of um, gun, gun control. They want sensible gun laws. 80% of Americans want universal background checks. Now, the NRA has been neutered in the last few years. I don't. So what what are these electeds 
afraid of. And of course, now that the Republicans control uh, the House, there's no way that they're going to take up any kind of bill um, uh, uh, to deal with this. It's it's just it's just, you know, welcome to life in America in uh, 2024. 2023. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get ahead of it all. I know it's only it's 2023. Today is January 24th, 2023. And you know how yesterday I said the shooting in Monterey Park was the 33rd mass shooting of the year. And there were only 23 days so far. Well, overnight, um, from reports, they say that, um, uh, the 34th, 35th, 36th, 37th, 38th, 39th mass shootings already took place. It's, it's too frightening to go outside. All right. I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time on it because I could do this literally every single day. Enough with the goddamn guns already fucking people get a life deal with your own shit if you feel so compelled you're so angry that it compels you to take out a gun look this is not the answer either but i'd rather you use it on yourself than on anybody else enough already just enough but wait there's more news i'm uh, no more guns how about this one how about this one you're gonna love this one you know, I get an email today from listener Cynthia. She's up in, in that area of California, by the way. She's up in Northern California, near San Jose. And Cynthia's email um, basically had the same kind of frustration I, I've been showing. But this, this one wasn't about the shooting. She said, the news keeps saying every day, day after day, that more classified documents have been found in Biden's home. Like it's an all new bunch and they're finding more every day when they aren't. They're still reporting the document find from last Friday. She says, you know, what the fuck? They should have reported it Friday night, maybe Saturday, making it clear that they were found on Friday. But instead, they keep reporting it every day like they just found more today. Do I detect some bias there? You think? Well, yeah. But did you hear what they reported today? There were more documents found. But this time, not at Biden's house. It was at the home of Mike Pence. Mike Pence. Mike Pence. Oops. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. Yes. Um, yeah, Mike Pence. That guy. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, Robert Naples. Hi. Hey, Paul. Hi. Mike Pence, huh? Mike Pence. Hi, so, so here's the deal. Hi. The Justice Department has taken possession of a, quote, small number of documents with classified markings that former Vice President Mike Pence found in his home in Indiana. Indiana. In a January 22nd letter to the National Archives, Mike Pence's attorney or the custodian of Pence's White House records, a guy named uh, Greg Jacob. Jacob wrote this letter to the National Archives. He indicated that FBI agents came to Pence's home in Indiana on the night of January 19th to retrieve documents that the former vice president had located a few days earlier. 
Didn't Mike Pence, you know, go all in on Joe Biden being irresponsible? And how could he possibly have these documents? Probably. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, I just, Nicole was probably like a top secret Bible or something, you know? <laughs> and uh, I think it was serious. Uh, I Anyways, don't know. Uh, I called about the dog. I hear a background. Should I, uh, am I on speaker or something? No. No, that, well, that's no. you. Whatever you're hearing is on your end. All right. All right. I've been driving all day. I've been thinking. Okay. And uh, you brought up the guns. You brought the up guns. the guns there. And um, here's a scenario that I don't think anyone's actually talked about, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it on you, right? Uh, they got people in this country that want teachers to be armed. Oh, right? Yes. You know, they want to, yeah, they, they're people that's legit, right? Yep. And um, there's a kid, six years old. In, uh, I think it was Virginia, and he shot his teacher. A six-year-old kid. And they had sounded warnings, apparently, about this kid, and the school officials ignored them. Said, oh, he's six years old. Go away. All right, time out now. Now, here's where it gets weird. Yeah. Now, this is, Virginia is probably a stand-your-ground state like the state of Florida, and maybe the teacher are allowed to carry a gun. Does a teacher pull a gun on a six-year-old and shoot and defend himself? I mean, this is what that, that fucked up for what? I, yeah. I, I think it's crazy shit. I'm sorry, but my question, my my the reality is maybe because there's other kids in that room. The yeah. Kid, the teacher gets shot. Maybe she's able to pick up the gun and shoot the kid from preventing shooting other kids. But I mean, why the hell are we here at this point where teachers have to carry guns? Or why you know? Or, or how does a six-year-old get a goddamn gun? You know, this is the shit part of our lives. You know that that, that this is actually something that can play out. You know, in our half of it, it's already played out. The kid shot the teacher. The kid shot you know, the teacher. He had access. Yeah, he had access to a gun. I mean, this is where we are. This is. Um, this by is the bad. way, Kim Chi in the chat room says no. Teachers do not carry guns in Virginia. Okay, so, well, that's a, I don't know, but that, don't know. now that after this teacher got shot, maybe that teacher, other teachers want to defend their, their, their other students. I don't know. I mean, I'm not, listen, I'm a parent, and I got a kid in grade school, and, and now that that's happened, I, maybe I want a teacher to, to yeah, shoot well, and protect my daughter. You know, I, I don't hear want you. everyone else's kid. Uh, it's fucked up. No, I mean, we I, don't I want. Both, how do you shoot a six-year-old? I mean, how do you, I don't you know, know. maybe. Oh my own. That's yeah. terrible. Hey, uh, Robert, I'm going to move on, but thank you for the yeah, call. Right, uh, keep keep easy. screaming right. at him. Uh, Bobby in North Carolina. Hi. Oh. Hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, it's going. <laughs> uh, the new digs. The new, I didn't move yet. We're not moving till April. I'm still surrounded oh, okay. by all oh, my shit please. everywhere. No, it, the move was was pushed back until April, and I'm now procrastinating on the on the packing again because we got a few more months. Oh, yeah. So that the few more months that I should have been using to pack, and of course I've been uh-huh. you know playing arts and crafts because that's what I do in my spare time now. <laughs> well, you get that time back now with the extra month. But uh, Nicole, I have come to a startling realization. Yeah. You can't trust a single Republican. <laughs> you're you just you're just realizing that now? Yeah. <laughs> Boing. You, you can't trust what they say because tomorrow they will say something different. Yep. You can't trust what they do because you know what they're doing is crooked. 
And and but what I'm really loving is the fact that I just finished watching uh, Fox Not News. You did, and oh. um, yeah, I only can take like two minutes. Um, <laughs> and to see that they're still talking about the Biden scandal. <laughs> the sc- what scandal is it when you're cooperating? The scandal is when you're hauling stuff out of your house. And, and, and for Trump to say that stuff was laying around where anybody could walk by, huh? How many people go in tomorrow? <laughs> oh, good God. Look, and, and, and in case you missed it, Trump turned it out in Fayetteville, North Carolina this weekend. Oh, did he? What's, oh, yeah. oh, he was there. Uh, he it had... was the funeral for Silk. Oh, right. Of Dominant Silk. Yeah. And so he did a promo about the fact that he was going there. Then he gets there and turns the daggone dick. Well, first he says that he didn't really know Diamond that well, but he knew Silk. <laughs> After Diamond had just gave a glowing introduction, how well he's treated on his time he spent together, you know, how nice he is and everything. Then he says, I don't really know her, but I know Silk really well. And I'm like, you are such an... He can't keep up with his life. I know. Well, then, didn't, course, didn't he used to go on the air with them? Didn't he used to talk to them all the time? He knew both of them, right? All the all the time. With him at rallies, you know, the, he was... Yeah, at, at his uh, big rallies, they were always there. Yeah. So... And then, and um, Nicole, you don't invite him nowhere. <laughs> he, he complained. <laughs> He complains about how long he had to wait to speak. And then uh, then he talked about, you know, they gave him 15 minutes. He's like, 15 minutes? You know, I'm like, go longer than 15 minutes. You know, 15 minutes is not enough. He's burning time talking about the fact that he doesn't have that much time. And then, oh, no, but wait, there's more. Uh-oh. He had to turn it into a campaign rally. And he took a funeral. a funeral and he turned it into a campaign rally and made it all about him. Wow, what a shocker. You can't take him nowhere. <laughs> I know. And look, I don't want him doing my eulogy. I put it that way because it was, oh gosh. And the stuff that is just constant line. I mean, in fact, you know, uh, uh, Santos is a perfect example of what the Republican Party is all about. Lie, cheat, and steal. Go right down the line, and you can and you can line them up. Yeah. All the criminals on these uh, committees talking trash about the people that they're replacing. But anyway, uh, happy New Year! I haven't talked to you since a year, no. and you look great. Oh. I mean, yeah, you you you've gone down in age. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's good. Okay, Bobby. And, it's great and what? Great to follow my brother Robert. Also. Yes. yes. Robert in Naples and Bobby in North Carolina. That's the one-two punch to start the show. Sounds good. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye, Bobby. Um, Hey, little, a programming note before we move on. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Uh, Yeah, I'm taking a day off because Dave Mason uh, invited us to the show, so he gave us a pair of tickets, and it starts early. It starts at 7. So, um, and we're a good, you know, if there's no traffic, about 30 minutes uh, drive from Fort Lauderdale. And so we're going to, you know, have grab a bite to eat with Allison, go to the show. And um, so I'm going to take tomorrow off. I'm going to rerun the show from a week ago today. And that was when Jared Yates Sexton was here. 
So it'll run audio only. There won't be a YouTube show tomorrow. I'm just letting you know so you don't come looking tomorrow and say, where is she? I don't do it very often, but uh, we'll do this tomorrow. Plus, I need to do some judicious editing tomorrow because Friday happens to be uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Day or something like that, whatever they call it. It is the uh, the, the Auschwitz um, Liberation Day. It was the day that the uh, concentration camps were liberated. And um, I stumbled into something. An old friend of mine from high school who lives locally, who's an artist, actually, um, turns out he met this man, this man, Leon. Leon, who is 96 years old, who was there at Auschwitz on Liberation Day. He was liberated. He didn't expect to be living, but he was liberated. He was 80 pounds at, I think he said he was... Uh, I forget, like 18, 17 maybe or something when they were liberated. Um, anyway, so we recorded an interview with Leon. Again, he's 96 years old. It's going to take a lot of editing, but we're going to run something on Friday. So I got to work on that. So that's what I'll do during the day tomorrow when I'd normally be doing show prep. Anyway, just a little behind the scenes for you. The work that a producer would normally do. So that's me. Um you know, perhaps you heard the news over the weekend. I didn't really deal with it yesterday because I knew we were going to deal with it today. That uh, Ron Klain is leaving the administration. Ron Klain is the White House chief of staff. And he's actually been a pretty good chief of staff. Um, and, you know, I didn't hold out much hope for Joe Biden's administration, but it has done. They've done a lot. They've accomplished a lot and and many progressive things. So um, the, the guy that is going to replace and, and Ron Klain was there for two years. This is a long tenure for a Democratic president's chief of staff. They say the longest. I don't know if that's true. It's I read it somewhere. Um, uh, but anyway, he served longer than most White House chiefs of staff. So the guy who's going to replace him is somebody named Jeffrey Zients. It rhymes with science, but don't let that confuse you. So in a little while, we'll be joined by Jeff Hauser. He is uh, the executive director of the Revolving Door Project. It's a division of Dean Baker's CEPR, and I just say that to let you know that they are legit They've got the, the juice and the Dean Baker is one of the few economists whose name I know, who, who I really trust. Um, and CEPR is really good. And the Revolving Door Project is really good. Um, and you need to hear what he has to say about the incoming White House Chief of Staff. So uh, Jeff will join us in a little while. Um, there is something else I want to share with you, though. Today, we had heard today, January 24th. Do you remember what was happening today? Remember last week, we had heard that the Fulton County, Georgia special uh, grand jury wrapped up its work and put out a report on their investigation into the former guy interfering in the 2020 election in the state of Georgia when he tried to get 
Georgia's Secretary of State to just find 11,900 and however many votes we, we, more than one more than what we have. Yeah, right. That whole thing. You know, his perfect phone call. Or was that to Zelensky? Or it was both of them, actually. I get so confused. Um, but anyway, that, uh, and, and so we were told that today would be the hearing on whether or not they would release this Fulton County, Georgia grand jury report. So there's somebody on Twitter. The, uh, the Twitter handle is OpenArgs, A-R-G-S. Um, I can't re- remember what that stands for, but that's the actual Twitter account. And this person offered an explainer on what happened at the hearing today. So I'm going to read it for you, to you, because I didn't hear the hearing, and uh, it's very informative. So this is the explainer. The Open Args wrote, here's my takeaway from today's hearing in Georgia on the release of the Fulton County Special Purpose Grand Jury's final report. The grand jury explicitly requested that their report be made public. DA Fonnie Willis opposes. The court is still deciding and has not yet ruled. So that's the overarching theme. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm surprised because I thought Fonnie Willis wanted us to see all this. Let's read on. The law seems pretty straightforward. The grand jury is, quote, authorized to recommend to the court the publication of the whole or any part of their general presentations. And if so, under 151280, I guess that's a rule, the court shall order the publication as recommended. Also, GA Rule 21 says that as a general rule, court proceedings are to be available for public inspection unless public access is limited by law, and, and they link to case law. Um, so, this this person writes, publish the report, right? Not so fast. The question is whether the grand jury's final report is, in fact, a general presentment, and no one seems to know for certain whether it is or not. Uh, a good breakdown of the history of the law in a piece that's linked from Anna Bauer, but it goes on. The DA does not oppose publication of the special purpose uh, grand jury report indefinitely, just until they make their charging decisions. The ADA said the main point is that today is not the time. Now is not the time, but eventually we will have a better idea of when the time will be. Um, And they continue to be crystal clear. And I'm glad finally they're going to be crystal clear because it certainly hasn't been up to this point. Uh, To be crystal clear, the argument DA's office made is that if you publish this report right now, Future defendants, by which they almost certainly mean Donald Trump, might be able to get future convictions overturned by arguing unfair prejudice prevented a fair trial. So Willis isn't just making a hypothetical argument to the court and the press. They are, in fact, why the grand jury proceedings are presumptively secret. Essentially, it's, quote, if you want Trump behind bars, then maybe, just maybe, hold off a little bit and let us do our jobs first. That's an interesting explanation, right? That says on the other side are the media inter- in, in, in interveners represented by Tom Clyde, who this tweeter writes, in my opinion, knocked it out of the park. The argument beyond the plain language of the statute is that disclosure always involves potential future harm and the court always has to weigh competing interests. And in this case, 
there isn't a particular a particularized showing that the potential president prejudice to any future defendant, that is Trump, outweighs the public's right to know and that the public's interest here is particularly strong. So this person goes back and forth, gives you both sides of the argument. The bottom line is, he writes, so what's going to happen? My guess is that we're going to get a narrowly tailored order, not ruling on the merits, but enjoying publication of the grand jury report for something like 10 days to let everyone dodge the the question and let the DA make good on its promise to indict quickly. Quickly? If it was quickly, it would have happened already. Come on, we, we, we have an impatient public out here of which I'm a member. I just want to see somebody being held accountable for what they did. In this case, you know, the former guy. All right. I told you Jeff Hauser was coming in to tell us about the uh, incoming uh, reported to be uh, incoming White House chief of staff. So let's bring in Jeff Hauser. He's the executive director of the Revolving Door Project. Uh, Hey, Jeff, good to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Um, so so I'm, I read the statement, uh, some of the stuff on the Revolving Door Project's website, and then I read an article at The Nation by Jeet here, which basically said um, the headline even is Biden's next chief of staff is a disaster in the making. And funny, you know, I go through reading the article and Jeet here is an editor at, at The Nation and makes some good points, but he um, he quotes you extensively. <laughs> So, uh, and, and so I guess you're of the same mind as G- here is um, uh, this incoming White House chief of staff may not be the best person to uh, follow Ron Klain, huh? Yeah, I think he's the worst possible uh, person. Uh, Jeffrey Zients is demographically the type of person the Democratic Party needs to fight against. He went to St. Albans, an exclusive uh, private school in Washington, D.C. He then went on to become a management consultant at Bain and then has been at the cutting edge of private equity and management consulting at the advisory board and uh, helping found a couple of different private equity firms. Uh, He is extremely rich. And he has not gotten rich by inventing things. He's not gotten rich by entertaining people. He has gotten rich by exploiting loopholes, by engaging in financialization, and by being a predator. Uh, One of the topics that Jeet picked up on that uh, colleagues of mine have researched at Revolving Door Project is uh, the medical services company that Cranemere, uh, Zion's private equity firm, uh, bought out. Uh, basically, Zion's private equity firm, like a, like a few others in the private equity space, they buy a series of medical services companies in a given geography. So in one town, there are a few different people who are the anesthesiologists at the local hospital. Then they go to the next town and they buy the practice of the anesthesiologist at the next town over. And soon enough, you've bought enough practices that if you need anesthesia within a given area, you're going to go to a company that Zion owns. Wow. And so you make a lot of money. You know, this is a way to under the radar. These acquisitions are all too small to trigger the federal antitrust laws. 
you build up market power in a slow but steady process. And he wasn't content just to buy up companies and exert market power. His companies engage in surprise medical billing. So surprise medical billing is the type of practice that even Republicans want to claim to be opposed to. Donald Trump said he was an opponent of surprise medical billing. Many very conservative members of Congress, uh, Republicans, have said they're opposed to it. And while there have been all sorts of reasons why the this predatory behavior has not yet been fully dealt with, it is clearly the type of thing the Biden administration should be fighting against. But if the chief of staff gets rich off of that kind of conduct, is he motivated to send the Health and Human Services Department at these providers, to instruct the Justice Department to make dealing with these providers a priority? Like, what are his incentives? And I would argue it's not just a question of, like, how does he stay rich or not? It's do you, Jeffrey Zients, want to look in the mirror and see yourself for the villain that you are and unleash the federal government to go against people like you, which would be an admission that your wealth has been obtained in a problematic manner. Most people view themselves in a way that would be inconsistent with viewing the way they got rich as problematic. Uh, that's, that's saying a lot, Jeff Hauser. So, um, wow. Uh, we, we've lived through really bad chiefs of staff before. Um, somebody in the chat room said, uh, so worse than Rahm Emanuel. Um, I mean, I would argue that Rahm Emanuel at least understood the democratic party. Now he was committed to undercutting all the aspects of the coalition that you and I hold dearest. Um, so I don't know worse or not, but at least he had put paid his dues and had working relationships uh, or lack of relationships or profanity ships with uh, people across the Democratic coalition. Zion's constituency is the business community and fellow alumni of the Obama uh, White House. He does not have relationships to immigrants' rights groups or the labor movement or uh, financial regulatory reform or, I mean, you name, there are many, many issues that are important. I'm not saying, you know, which are more or less important, but if you're a Ron Klain or a Rahm Emanuel, uh, you have spent your life in democratic politics and you, like, you know people, they can, they can uh, text or signal you, you're going to be responsive to the party. Right, because you've worked with them before. But Jeff Zients was not in the trenches, as it were, working with the the various uh, factions of the party. Ron Klain, let's talk about Ron Klain for a moment, because if I remember correctly, you were on with me at the beginning of the administration as, as Biden was putting his cabinet together. And we talked about Ron Klain. I think you might have been cautiously optimistic, but looking back, Ron Klain was actually a pretty damn good chief of staff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we never claimed he was a member of the progressive movement, but we supported him. uh, And I think that that has played out as we suspected that he has been a good, neutral steward of the Biden administration. I think he and Biden are essentially uh, they see themselves as the center of the Democratic Party, which is not to say a centrist in the war, pick, the country at large, but they are the, in the center of the Democratic Party. 
And as the progressive movement has had the better of arguments, especially about the economy and on a host of other issues, but I think the uh, centrists have grown to understand that there's a lot of populist anger out there. And so they they are able to shift because people like Biden and claim they are products of coalition politics. And it's easy to be anti-politics, but if you believe in democracy, you essentially have to believe in politics and you have to believe in coalitions because most people don't have enough time to spend in politics. And so you need to have grassroots groups that like create grassroots leaders and you need people in government who can stay have uh, connections to a wide range of different grass tops figures who have legitimacy by virtue of their relationship to people, but you can't like have the chief of staff in touch with 330 million people. So this is, you have to do politics. Politics is not a bad thing inherently, even if our politics is kind of depressing as a country. And so Biden and Klain have done old school politics. They've listened to the coalition. They've taken into account interests of black people and abortion rights advocates. And uh, they've certainly not been perfect, but I think most people feel heard. And there's definitely been, a sh- when there's been shifts from the Clinton and Obama administration, they've almost always been in the correct direction. Right. Now, Jeff Hauser, I, I just want to step back a moment and let people know again where you're coming from with these comments and why I called on you to tell us about Jeffrey Zients. Uh, Zients. Um, tell us about the Revolving Door Project. Uh, sure. Um, so we exist to scrutinize the executive branch. Uh you know, there's the old ditty about how does a bill become a law? Right. And there's so much coverage in American politics about the lawmaking process. Mm-hmm. And obviously, legislation is really important. But what a lot of people forget is that once a bill has become a law, it isn't self-enforcing. Just having a law in the books doesn't really mean much. It only matters insofar as the executive branch executes the law as it is written. And that is not a given. We have all sorts of laws, be they environmental or workplace safety or the like, that are often not enforced. We had antitrust laws that were not enforced for several decades. Um, so it's not a given that laws will be enforced. And law enforcement always involves judgment calls. Um, you may hear the term prosecutorial discretion, and that's not just a criminal justice issue. That's an issue of civil enforcement. Like, is this tax deduction bad enough that we're going to go after real estate tycoons from New York who inherited a lot of money from their dad and may or may not have been (laughs) the worst president in American history. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of prosecutorial discretion at the IRS or at the Environmental Protection Agency um, and so on and so forth across the executive branch. And so we focus on the executive branch. We focus on how personnel is policy. So you want to get the best appointees possible. And then you want to look into how government is or is not working and figure out what can be better. Right. And so this is what you guys at the Revolving Door Project, which is a division of Dean Baker's CEPR, uh, you do. You 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 provide um, uh coverage of the executive branch. You examine what they're doing, the personnel, thus the revolving door, and you report on who's doing what. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we work both with uh, the media and uh, more uh, more discreetly, we work with 
other progressive groups. We try to help raise issues to them uh, that are generally not covered. The there are two types of media in Washington. Uh, there's the better known media, uh, your you know still existing network news, your New York Times, Washington Post, your Politico. Um, but then there is uh, trade associate. There's like trade media. Mm-hmm. There is media that actually covers the nitty gritty, and to them, these issues are not uh, hidden. There, there are publications that will cover the Federal Communications Commission in incredible detail. Mm-hmm. There are publications that will cover the Commodities and Future Trade Commission, the CFTC in great detail. Every single part of the government gets a lot of press attention. But the more widely consumed uh, publications, the stuff that you don't have to pay thousands of dollars for because you're a hedge fund and you need the uh, information to trade off of, they often don't really cover the executive branch. And that means that even people who work in government are often mostly informed about what is happening on Capitol Hill and not what is happening in the executive branch. And so we try to get progressives to be aware so that they can put pressure on the executive branch. Right. So I I wanted to go into that because, for instance, uh, I'm going to mention somebody in the chat room, Bruce. Bruce writes, who could possibly... Uh, Who could have possibly been as bad as Mark Meadows, Donald's last chief of staff? This is not about comparing the Joe Biden administration and his uh, his staff to Donald Trump's. There is no there's no correlation there. They are them. We know that they're not in the same universe. What Donald Trump did has nothing. This is not about that. This is about Joe Biden, who's going to be the next chief of staff, comparing him to, say, Ron Klain or looking at this administration from a progressive uh, standpoint. This is what we're talking about. When I'm talking about, uh, you know, uh, this guy, Jeffrey Zients, being horrible, or you say it's catas- a catastrophic decision, that's not comparing them to Donald Trump's chief of staff or any of them. Put them aside. This is nothing to do with them, right? I mean, Ron DeSantis picks fights with corporate America all the time. Yep. And why is he doing that? Because he knows we're living in a populist era. And he is picking the worst fights on the worst uh, pretexts. But when when he is picking a fight with Walt Disney Corporation, despite it being the largest employer in the state, private sector employer in the state of Florida, that is still a a signal, which is the Republicans are now populist. Donald Trump was a populist. They were right wing populist. And while I consider myself a progressive populist, I am completely at odds with right-wing populism. That's right. But we need, if we want to defeat the fascist political party in this country, we will need a progressive populism that resonates with conflicted voters. Because a non-populist Democratic Party, just like a non-populist Clinton campaign in 2016, is vulnerable. And the honest truth is that there's at least a chance, I don't know, like Ron DeSantis could end up being a dud. I don't think his oh, personality he will. Is, yeah, I, but I'm at least. But DeSantisism, or then there is going to be a version of Trumpism without the aspects of Trump that so alienate uh, affluent voters. 
And once some of those affluent voters who have been, who voted for Biden, who have uh, voted um, Democratic in the 2018 and 2022 midterms, once some of those return to a Mitt Romney-ish uh, appearing Republican or just a someone who wears a suit and talks like a business person kind of figure, once that person marries a form of right-wing populism with the superficial sense of competence, like a Glenn Youngkin, uh, we will need the Democratic Party to have a populist message. And we're not going to be able to demonstrate a populist message by passing legislation in 2023 or 2024. Why do I say that? Because you look at who runs the House of Representatives. That's right. So the only way that Biden can be effectively populist going forward and do something and pick fights and generate attention in a populist way is by how he wields the power of the executive branch. And the single individual who is most critical to how Joe Biden runs the executive branch is the chief of staff who's responsible for conveying Biden's wishes to each of the cabinet departments. Right. Right. Now, um, uh, uh, so there's somebody in the chat room who I've never seen before. So I'm guessing it's someone who came in specifically to counter your argument. Duh, big cat says chief of staff is not a liberal purity test. He led the covid response plan and did a great job. Did he do a great job? Um, so we, we don't think he did. Um, and I think a lot of public ac- health experts like Greg Gonzalez and others have uh, articulated why, and we've written some material about why. Uh, but the the signal uh, issue before him that demonstrates where it's hard to distinguish between ideology and competence was international access to COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. So initially, uh, science was opposed to allowing uh the rest of the world to use American uh, vaccine technology. And then there was an announcement. We believe uh, Kathleen Tai, the U.S. Trade Representative, was the key figure on this, that the Biden administration was going to support opening up the intellectual property. This came in uh, May of 2021. And there was a side in the Washington Post that said that Zions had switched his mind on that. And we were briefly pretty encouraged. But then, despite Tai's considerable efforts, nothing actually happened. And there are other villains in this story. Angela Merkel of uh, Germany is probably the most overrated international figure in America in my lifetime. She uh, she was steadfast opposed. She said, well, Pfizer can make a lot of money here. We're not going to support this. And so there were other villains at play. But so far as we can tell, Zions and Ramondo um, and some other figures in the executive branch uh, help make the seeming pro- the promise of the Biden administration in May of 2021. It never happened. And the guy in charge of COVID policy was Jeffrey Zients. And it's a big part of COVID policy to get people vaccinated. Because, yeah. I, I, and so I, that is where having an ideology that pharmaceutical companies need to get rich, and that is a higher priority than disseminating a life-saving vaccine across the globe. I, I mean, how, like that's on his record. And I don't right. know how he gets, uh, how you can look away from that. 
Right. So you have that. And then there's the part, as you uh, explained earlier, about the relationships. And that's a lot of what politics is. And the job of chief of staff is very political. It's he's the guy who is the president's right hand, basically, who talks to everyone in the universe to get deals done. He's the deal maker. This is the person who needs to have those political connections. And he doesn't. What his background is, is what you told us in this medical sort of uh, industry. Two of the people, um, uh, back to this Nation article, uh, there's a, a paragraph that quotes two people who work with you at the Revolving Door Project, Daniel uh, Boguslaw and Max Moran, who wrote, the, he says, wrote a devastating profile of Zions for the American prospect. And here's what they wrote. Over the span of two decades, the healthcare companies that Zions controlled, invested in, and helped oversee were forced to pay tens of millions of dollars to settle allegations of Medicare and Medicaid fraud. They've also been accused of surprise billing practices and even medical malpractice. Taken together, an examination of the companies that made Zions rich paints a picture of a man who seized on medical providers as a way to capitalize on the suffering of sick Americans. That's the kind of shit I expect from Republicans. I don't expect that from Democrats and certainly not the, you know, that's what Rick Scott did. He was guilty of Medicare, you know, the biggest Medicare fraud ever perpetrated on this country. That's a Republican. That's why I say they're in a different universe. I don't expect that from the White House chief of staff who should be friendly with everybody in political and in democratic political circles, not only progressive, but including the progressive faction. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there is no better politics than going after ghouls in the medical uh, industry. None. Uh, It is, you know, nearly one fifth of the U S economy. There is considerable dissatisfaction. It always pops as a top priority for voters. Uh, and it's just going to be very difficult for Biden to have a health care agenda that it does not go after the types of practices that Jeffrey Zients has gotten rich from. And that is just, it creates an incredibly awkward tension. Like if a draft of a speech goes across Zients' desk calling people like Jeffrey Zients vampires, <laughs> like, how do you edit that? <laughs> I mean, not that I think he necessarily edits speeches, but you get the the gist. Like, is he going to be comfortable with the executive branch really setting itself up uh, to take on these kind of malefactors? Right. And especially at a time when we need somebody to deal with uh, Kevin McCarthy. You know, you've got antagonists on the other side uh, now now in control of the House. Um, and, and the chief of staff needs to be able to kind of glad hand everyone that's politics and it doesn't sound like he's the right political guy for this time that we're in oh yeah i mean it's very important context to bring up congressional oversight um two points about that one is conflict will win out in terms of news coverage unless you create your own conflict and so we know that there will be attention grabbing efforts by house republicans Mm -hmm. against the Biden administration. Like that is a given that they are going to do oversight in the most provocative manner possible. That does not mean it's going to be honest, factual, serious, but it's going to grab attention. 
So the Biden administration needs to be doing interesting stuff so that there is some attention on issues that are beneficial to Democrats rather than just constantly debating Hunter Biden uh, or like it's just you need to be on offense. So that's where we think an executive branch led crackdown on corporate misbehavior is the obvious way to go. The second point is that Bill Clinton was considering privatizing Social Security until impeachment. And then Bill Clinton moved to the left. Bill Clinton took as the necessary step to prevent himself from being impeached, making sure he had locked down the loyal parts of the Democratic Party. He had to lock down their support. And so the ideas of making a deal with Newt Gingrich on Social Security went out the window. And in general, he governed in a much more progressive manner when he was under threat of impeachment. You would expect and hope to see something similar from Biden. And Zions is an obstacle to that. Right. I I mean, were you surprised when you saw this name, given how... Uh, how good Ron Klain was throughout the, the first two years and how good he was with the progressives and, and progressive um, uh, ideas and, 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 uh, and priorities? Yes, we were, we were surprised. It happened quickly. Everyone I knew was surprised. Uh, I found out about it um, in an Uber coming back from my son's futsal doubleheader. Um, so yeah, it, we had a scramble on uh, Sunday in response. And I think the problem is that Joe Biden is comfortable with people he's already comfortable with. It's, mm. you know, one of the downsides of having a president at a certain age is that they don't necessarily develop new best friends quickly. And, uh, I, I think Klain was the best of the people who had the longest relationships um, with Biden. Um, and it's unfortunate. Um, well, uh, people can check out the Revolving Door Project, and they should. TheRevolvingDoorProject.org. Your blog explains everything you've been telling us. Uh, there's an entry on Jeffrey Zients and, and more of the oversight work you guys do of the executive branch. It's important that we do this. I know my listeners sometimes hate it when I criticize anything Joe Biden does. We criticize not to put them down, but you need to do that to make them better. Right. I mean, that's that's what you're about. Yes, we we want the Biden administration to succeed. We are in no way soft on uh, the Republicans. And in fact, we are constantly arguing for even uh, more zealous opposition to uh, Trump, DeSantis, we call for de-Trumpification, getting rid of all the lingering executive branch officials who owe their uh, jobs to Donald Trump. Uh, Yes, you you will hear no uh, support for the modern Republican Party from us. Along those lines, why is Louis DeJoy and some of the other people still there? Uh, I mean, DeJoy, it's a complicated mess. Um, He, there are... um, two postal unions, and one of them is somewhat supportive of DeJoy, which has helped like splinter what, what should be uniform Democratic opposition. Um, and he, DeJoy ha- has gotten a lot of credit for um, overdue reforms with respect to the pension of postal workers, uh, which was a salutary bill that passed um, uh, 
I believe in 2021. Um, and it, uh, but it was not due to him and he is doing a bad job on several avenues and he should be pushed out, which we've written about, um, extensively. Um, but the politics of it are slightly more complicated than they should be. Gotcha. Uh, Jeff Hauser, again, find him on, you're still on Twitter at Jeff Hauser and therevolvingdoorproject.org. Thank you so much. I, I always appreciate your input. Uh, it's nice knowing that you're out there watching out for us. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Nicole. Take Thank care. You, ta- you too. Bye-bye. Uh, Jeff Hauser, everybody. And with that, we're, we're coming down to the end of the show. It is, um, uh, uh, you know, before I go, you've seen me sipping on my drink, my, uh, my, my, um, my Blendjet uh, concoction today. This is another coffee drink. It's coffee with a little bit of sugar because I'm out of stevia coming tomorrow and a little bit of plant-based milk and a lot of ice because I like icy drinks. So, um, and just blend it up and it's kind it's like a, it's kind of like a Frappuccino, but without the, all the crap that they put in it. And it's a lot cheaper because I'd make it at home and it's, really good. It's made in my Blendjet 2, which you can get your own. It's nice and portable. You take it anywhere. You blend it anywhere. It makes, it blends beautifully. Um, Makes the perfect smoothie. And if you go to Blendjet.com and order one of these babies and use Sent by Nicole 12 in the promo code, uh, you'll get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. So check it out, Blendjet. And um, cheers. And with that, we are done. Uh, All right. So Duh Big Cat says it's too early to say that. Look, I have opinions and I know that having a somebody who um, got rich bilking Medicare and Medicaid and 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 doing shady shit with health care. Sorry, health care is not should not be a for-profit venture. And having the new White House chief of staff being someone who made a fortune on our backs by fucking over Medicare recipients, not a good thing. So I'm going to call him out when I see it. Dub Big Cat, you're welcome to disagree with me, as you obviously do. And that's your prerogative. But um, I'd rather not have to see it play out. Ron Klain was a pleasant um, really good chief of staff. I wasn't sure what to think when he came in. I'd heard him on TV a few times and he seemed smart and pretty good. But um, yeah, this guy I worry about because he's not the guy who has the relationships. And that's what you need in that position. He has zero relationships with the progressive infrastructure in D.C., I'm not saying he's got to be a full-on progressive. I'm saying he just has to be, here I go, we use that word again, progressive adjacent. At least have relationships. This man has none. So he, you know, maybe you think he did a good job overseeing COVID. I don't. Just by virtue of the fact that so many Americans refuse to get vaccinated makes me realize that he did not do a great job. Um. So there's that. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go. <laughs> um, yes, good. Dub the cat said, I will research Zions. Maybe he is corrupt. I am skeptical. Research him. 
Read the stuff at therevolvingdoorproject.org. Read the nation. Read the Washington Post and New York Times. Do your homework is all I'm saying. An informed public is one who can stand up for ourselves. And this nation is too uninformed. You know, when Donald Trump said, I love the poorly educated, it wasn't a mistake. He means it because the dumber people are, the easier it is to run roughshod over them. The more uninformed they are or the more misinformed they are, it's easier to get control over them. An informed, educated electorate is what we want. It's what the Republicans do not want. Okay, I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you with that. Um, uh, Okay, so I'm not here tomorrow. We're going to rerun the show from a week ago today with Jared Yates Sexton because it was such a great interview and in case you missed it. And and honestly, um, you can uh, learn a lot listening again or just take the day off and I'll be back Thursday with Howie Klein. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. I'll leave you with the news and I'll see you Thursday. Bye. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Seven more people are dead today in California. Victims of yet another mass shooter. Four of the victims were found dead and another injured with gunshot wounds at a farm in Half Moon Bay, California. Three others were killed about three miles away. The suspect, a 67-year-old man, Zhao Chunli of Half Moon Bay, was arrested about two hours later after officers found him sitting inside his car outside of a police substation. A weapon was in the vehicle. The motive for the shootings remained unclear. Meanwhile, the death toll from Saturday's Lunar New Year mass shooting at the Star Ballroom Dance Studio in Monterey Park, California, rose to 11 on Monday when one of the 10 people injured died in the hospital. Since that shooting, the 33rd in the year that's only now 24 days old, since then we've also had our 34th, 35th, 36th, 37th, 38th, and 39th mass shootings of the year. And that doesn't count the shooting at a Des Moines charter school. Two students were killed and a teacher injured on Monday at a school for at-risk youth in Des Moines, Iowa. But again, this is not considered a mass shooting by the Gun Violence Archive and not included in those six that I mentioned since the Monterey Park shooting because the archive defines a mass shooting as an incident where four or more people are shot. This nation is sick. This is an epidemic, and it's killing us. Moving along. A judge in Atlanta hearing arguments Tuesday about whether the grand jury's report into efforts by Donald Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 presidential election should be made public. The Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, called for a special grand jury to look into the matter last year. While the jurors finished their work earlier this month and they voted to publish the report, Willis could file criminal charges stemming from the findings in the report, possibly including charges against Trump himself. No former president has been indicted in American history. Stay tuned. In other court action, a federal jury in D.C. on Monday found four more members of the far-right Oath Keepers guilty of seditious conspiracy for their efforts to keep the former guy in office despite his 2020 election loss. 
This conviction coming nearly two months after the Oath Keepers leader, Stuart Rhodes, was found guilty of the same offense in a separate trial back in November. The four defendants in this trial were originally charged alongside Rhodes and other Oath Keepers, but the judge split the cases due to courtroom space limitations. And while this is happening, a parallel sedition case is also in progress in the same courthouse involving members of the Proud Boys. And then there's the case of Richard Barnett of Arkansas. Who's Richard Barnett? That's the guy who famously posed for photographs with his feet up on then Speaker Nancy Pelosi's desk. Barnett, who uses the name Big O, left Pelosi a note saying, quote, Nancy, Big O was here, bitch. He sounds nice. Anyway, police body camera video also showed him yelling at an officer who was trying to direct rioters to leave the building. Well, a jury on Monday convicted Richard Barnett on eight charges, including interfering with a police officer and obstructing an official proceeding. Barnett had driven from his rural Arkansas home to attend the former guy's rally near the White House before the Capitol attack, armed with a hike and strike hiking stick that's tipped with a 950,000-volt stun device. I couldn't make this stuff up. This story should make everyone a bit queasy. Federal authorities on Monday charged the former head of FBI's counterintelligence in New York, Charles McGonigal, with accepting $225,000 in secret cash payments while working for the FBI on sensitive cases. The 54-year-old McGonigal is also accused of illegally trying to help Russian billionaire Oleg Deripaska get removed from a U.S. sanctions list. McGonagall, who retired from the FBI in September of 2018, was indicted in a Manhattan federal court on charges that included money laundering and violating U.S. sanctions. At the FBI, McGonagall had been assigned to investigate Deripaska, an ally of Vladimir Putin. An FBI official said that McGonagall, quote, betrayed his solemn oath to the United States in exchange for personal gain and at the expense of our national security. Congressman Ruben Gallego of Arizona announced on Monday that he will run for the Senate seat currently occupied by Senator Kirsten Sinema in the 2024 election. Gallego was a Marine in Lima Company. That's among the hardest hit U.S. units in the Iraq War. He was elected to the Arizona State House in 2010 and has served in the U.S. House of Representatives since 2014, where he's become a leading advocate for veterans. And finally, the FDA on Monday proposed letting most adults and children get an updated COVID-19 vaccine shot once a year. The annual vaccine would target new variants expected to be the most prevalent in a shift much like the approach to vaccinating against the flu. The proposed change comes as Americans are mostly hesitant to get the new bivalent booster. Maybe that's because people like Florida's idiot governor are spreading misinformation about it. Anyway, more than 80% of the people in the U.S. have received at least one vaccine dose, but only 16% of those eligible have received the new version of the vaccine targeting the Omicron and original variants. That vaccine has been available since September. So what are you waiting for? I got the- And that's just a bit of what's news. For now, I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener-supported, and I can't do it without your help. 
Find out more at NicoleSandler.com and please click on that donate button.